Welcome back to Transformation Talks, Alira Health's podcast series exploring transformational technologies in healthcare and life sciences around the world. I'm Kenny Carberry, Associate Director of Clinical Development at Alira Health, a global healthcare consulting company with fully integrated services supporting the entire life cycle of healthcare innovations. Today, we'll be discussing the benefits and challenges of implementing early access programs from both the industry and payer perspectives and to outline key recommendations for an effective design and implementation in Europe. We're joined by some exciting experts today on our guest panel, starting with Lois Beecroft, who is the Payer Strategy Director at GSK, leading the market access plan and launch preparation for a number of assets across respiratory, rare disease, and infectious diseases. Also with us today is Jackie Little, Senior Independent Director at NHS Foundation Trust in Torbay and South Devon, and lastly, we're joined by our very own Nerea Blanque, VP of Global Market Access and Pricing at Alira Health. Uh, and our guests today are a little bit UK heavy, but I just want to clarify that the focus of uh, our discussion is across Europe uh, for EAPs. And maybe to kind of kick us off, Nerea, if you could give us a brief kind of introduction to what are EAPs. Uh, tell us a little bit about it and as we begin our discussion here. EAPs or Early Access Programs are pre-launch strategies that aim to treat patients with higher med medical needs who cannot be successfully treated with an existing commercialized drug and who cannot be enrolled into a clinical trial. Different countries have different names or there are different sort of programs. You have name patient programs, cohort programs, early access programs, foreign medicine. So in our white paper, we have tried to summarize the best as we can what is out there in Europe or in the US, so you can have access to it in our website. But what we can say is that currently pharmaceutical companies are facing an increasing demand from physicians or from patient groups to have early access to innovative medicines prior to their launch in a country. Moreover, this brings significant benefits not only to patients and physicians, but also to pharmaceutical companies as they can aim to respond regulatory delays, for example, especially in the Europe, and they can also generate more KOL engagement in order to enhance future PNR negotiations. Thanks, Nerea. And so now, armed with that overview, it's becoming a little clear now. But but Lois, maybe you could comment uh, additionally on why to design, why to implement an early access program. I guess it. I think it very much depends on the objective of what you're trying to achieve. So, for instance, if you were looking at a country like France, you'd be very much focused on ensuring that you were able to get an early access scheme in to ensure you had a clinical validation of your product and be able to demonstrate your met need to be able to leverage your reimbursement. In Italy, you could also, so in both countries, you can get free price, which means from day one, you can actually commercialise the drug. With Italy, sometimes reimbursement can take a year, two years. With an early access scheme, it can drive earlier uptake and earlier access to patients to be able to get access for treatment. And obviously, at the same time, have your price in the market. For countries like Germany, it'd be a very different case because you'd be actually trying to get clinical benefit in order for them to see the value of your drug and to be able to ensure that you had clinical validation and engagement from day one. So I think a lot of it depends on what your objective is and what you're trying to achieve from the early access scheme. And uh, Jackie, maybe you want to comment a little bit on uh, anything that's related to the system itself with your NHS background and beyond that may be involved there? 
Yeah, I um, totally agree with Lois. And I think the really important point and a priority to introduce any early access schemes in the UK is about that clinical validation, but also the ability to demonstrate the impact in, in the real world rather than through sort of trials, because that is very much the priority at the driving forward. So it's great to look at the, the results of trials, but actually doing it in real life, engaging with patients and also I think there's something really important about engaging with the commissioners and the payers as early on as possible so that they can factor it into their horizon scanning. We know that new drugs are going to come onto the market, but we're not always very good actually capturing all that data. And it's about building up the forecast of how much we're going to need to allocate our budgets moving forward. So for me, it's about the KOL engagement, the real world clinical data and putting the patients at the centre as early on as possible. And Lois, back to you for for a second here, because I want to make sure we can address market access and pricing challenges as these are implemented. Um, You know, as Jackie was saying, things are coming onto the market all the time. You know they're coming. What are those implications uh, in the market access and pricing world? And maybe Nerea, you might want to comment as well. So I think one of the biggest challenges from an access perspective is that we know that um, Germany sets the highest price in Europe and that price ceiling will be driven by the EU4, particularly if evidence is not differential to the current standard of care or there might be some challenges with the data. So that could be one challenge potentially that you're setting a price without knowing what the German price is and therefore could be driving your revenue down. I think another thing which is um, common is, for instance, if we take the UK system where you use early access, it's not paid for and Mm. patients access it free and the hospitals and clinicians access it free. And the risk then becomes there's not an incentive for a quicker re-evaluation because the unmet need is already addressed. I think the additional point is if you then get a nice no, there is a high risk that those patients will continue on treatment and therefore as a pharmaceutical company, you'll have to sort of support and endorse that. So again, there's not a driver for reimbursement, but also there is a high risk that commercially it may reduce your commercial revenue stream. So Lois, do you think that it's good to plan ahead what you want to do with your early access programs? I think it's critical that from day one, you identify which markets you want to be in and what the objective of your scheme is. I think you have to start planning from phase three. I've been in positions before where we've got CHIMP coming up. It's taken us by surprise. We then have to rush through to get a cohort ATU. Then we have to establish and get supply. And if you miss that CHIMP cutoff, the risk is that you can't really establish them and it's too late. So I think it's critical from day one one that you start that plan as part of your phase three evidence gap planning, identify why you want that scheme for each market, where the opportunities and benefits are, and then you set them up and you plan them according to that strategy. And you also do like a risk analysis, like what you said before, for example, uh, maybe the authorities don't want to reimburse, but what is important is that the patient gets it because there's a need. So how do you analyze these risks and even them up? 
So I think you would obviously look at your your key market and the key achievements. So, for instance, there could be a high risk with the UK that you wouldn't get reimbursement. But the question is, are you able to use that data? Could that data be used in other countries to be able to leverage an earlier access and to be able to drive your data up? Again, you know, if you're not going to get access in the UK, what is the value of continuing to gather data? Is there some benefit in it? So I think you definitely do your trade off. I think certainly for France, and we've heard on many occasions that if you don't have an early access scheme, it is considered that there is a limited unmet need for your product and therefore your access may be harder to achieve. So I think from my perspective, you would always look to France. That would be your country that would be given, although I think they are changing the rules moving forward to be more similar to the German rules. But I think you'd certainly be looking at your opportunity to gather data and to look at where your opportunities are um, and also to ensure that patients get early access and that you can gather the evidence gaps through your um, early access schemes where appropriate. So, Jackie, one question. This, the challenges that can happen in the UK, as uh, Lois mentioned, how do you think they can be overcome? I think that there's something really important about gathering the data, not just for the clinical data, which is positive for that drug and the use of the drug, but also the implications or the risk of not using that drug. And I think we've been really bad at that in the NHS. We've just sort of looked at this this is the drug and this is the cost and this is the benefit. Because we're now moving to integrated care systems. So from the 1st of April, we're going to have a completely different commissioning and payer landscape. We're looking at population health. I think there's a real positive opportunity for pharmaceutical companies to look at early access schemes at a much bigger population level rather than just one or two centres, and actually working with those um, clinical teams to look at the data in, in all, all of its all of its areas. So it's this is the clinical data, this is the patient benefit, but also the risk of those patients not having access to that medicine. And I think I think Lois is right. And I think The way that we've worked in the NHS up until now, we've been quite sort of hamstrung in how we've been procuring and bringing drugs into the NHS. So it's either either nationally led by NHS England or sort of CCG. We haven't always got it right. But I think the idea now is that there'll be more local and regionalised control and um, responsibility. So I think it's about working with integrated care systems who are going to be covering populations of between 1.2 and 1.6 million and testing it out with them so actually you're going to get you're going to get much richer and more useful data but it's having it's having those conversations but also as Lois said it's recognizing that because it's a free good to the NHS there's not necessarily the incentive for us to use it so it's developing that message that actually you can't afford not to start paying for it So therefore, you need to start putting it into your forward planning, your horizons and sort of uh, uh, horizon scanning sooner rather than later. Mm. And one question, Jackie, all this reliable evidence data gathered during this early access program, do you think that it's going to be accepted by the authorities at the time of submission? I do. I actually think... By collecting that real, because if you look at um, the way the NHS is moving, especially in England, it's about that real world data. It's about that real clinical evidence. 
and actually that the trials are the starting point but it's actually saying we believe this so much we, we want to work with you to really demonstrate it and I've worked with some uh, parts of the NHS and pharmaceutical companies doing exactly that so mm. it's about we, be, we, we believe it so actually we'll pay for x number of patients and we will prove to you that actually it's effective and it's got other benefits so I've worked with some some areas of the NHS where they've spent more money on drugs to prevent hospitalizations, prevented uh, avoidable um, emergency admissions. So it's it's that data which I think pharmaceutical companies need to start collecting as well, which we don't collect in trials. And so for me, so that's where I think there's an opportunity to really build a really, really strong case for, for investment in mm-hmm. sort of investment in the use of those drugs. So Sorry, um, yeah, exactly. This is what I went to ask. Oh, Lois, what do you think? <laughs> and do you think there's a tendency to do the same in in Europe? I think it can be challenging to get reimbursement in the UK and drug uptake yeah. compared to other countries across Europe. I would say that um, certainly we can see the pull through of data into the cost effectiveness analyses that are used and gathered. And I know certainly um, with a a drug I worked on in rare disease, the data that was collected through the early um, access scheme was actually used in ultra-awesome through the early scheme. So that certainly has been done. I think um, it is challenging to get access in the UK, I think more so than other countries. I think certainly with products such as oncology, Mm. there is also a risk that you come to market with a nice no, and therefore you may want to delay maybe the scheme until you have enough data to actually go for a certain outcome for your access program for your cost effectiveness. But I think every market is very different. I think certainly with Italy and France, we've had good experience getting to market early and optimizing price. But again, I think it does come back to what were your objectives in the first place for setting up the scheme? And that will then um, identify whether you've achieved those outcomes, um, because they certainly will be different across Europe. I also think it would differ depending on the price of the drug as well. And I think that also needs to be taken into account. So if we're talking about a really, really high cost drug, obviously in the UK in particular, it's going to have a different view than if it was something which is like sort of medium price. But again, there's something for me about getting that data. It's more than just the cost of the drug. So there's something for me, it's the risk of not having that those patients on that medication. It's the risk of them not having early access. And I think it's also about building up that um, narrative, if you like, with patients and KOLs to really champion that actually this drug has got a, a purpose and we need to be using it. So getting them behind the pharmaceutical companies as well. So Jackie and, and Lois, um Can I ask quickly then if you think that EAPs will become more popular across Europe? Will they increase in use and implementation, given what you guys have just talked about? Personally, I have used them effectively, um, certainly when we launched rare disease. I think if you have a very high unmet need or rare disease, I think they're critical and they're an absolute must. I think the the unmet need is probably going to drive that um, need to get into market early and also enable you to um, to have um, a pay a value proposition that matches that. So we think my belief is yes, 
we will see more as we see more disease areas with unmet need. I think if you're looking at perhaps more generalised disease areas, there's probably less drivers to set up an um, early access scheme. And obviously with the early access scheme, so for instance with France, you have to put in early pharmacovigilance. So there, there is monitoring, etc., and that will obviously cost more money. So, and that is always offset by being a, the benefits. But I think if you've got a rare disease that probably or a higher met need, and you're looking at those pharmaceuticals with those specialist prices, I think absolutely would see them as critical um, as part of your launch planning. And I, um, I totally agree. I think there's um, so I've 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 worked in two areas where a really robust early access scheme sort of framework has meant that two high cost drugs, one in rare disease and one in sort of like against that high unmet need, were really, really successful and they were game changers. And I think there's something about, it touches the point that Lois was saying before about that value message is really, really important. And I think it's about testing it out as the early access scheme is being developed. It's actually testing out those messages. And I hate the, the word or the description, but it's about co-creating those messages with the market. So it's not just pharmaceutical company A think this is really great. It's actually testing it out and co-creating that message and validating it. And I think and I, I genuinely believe that there is an opportunity to do more uh, with early access, especially, as Lois was saying, with the high cost rare disease areas. And we're already seeing that. But there's something for me about being very controlled in the scope of what the access schemes look like, because otherwise, like no pharmaceutical company is a charity, they're businesses and they're commercial organisations. And as, as Lois said before, you need to manage that risk of I love it so much in the NHS, we get a nice no and I want it continued for free. And so it's managing those risks as well. But it's also getting the NHS to understand that it may be a free good, but it doesn't mean that the value of it is any less important. It's just a free good at the moment because of this early access scheme. And, and going back to Jackie's point, I think there's a really excellent point and actually is about early engagement. For me, I think some of the thing that we often miss in our early planning to launch is often that payer engagement plan. You know, and a critical part of that is the KEs driving up the value of mm. the unmet need and the clinical benefit and the clinical value. And ultimately, I think if you have an early access scheme in place, actually enables you to be able to do that because payers will engage early with your KEs to really establish the KEs then do that piece very early on about the value of the drug and they're able to substantiate that from day one. So I think, you know, going back to Jackie's point and, it, and going back to the objective, what is the key objective of doing your early access scheme? Obviously, it'll always be the patient because mm. a patient getting early access to medication can never be a bad thing. And obviously, there are secondary benefits from that, such as, you know, getting to the market early, getting an early price, getting your early engagement with payers, and then obviously being able to establish the value of the product that you have got in order to increase that patient access. So I think, um, you know, it becomes a win-win. 
Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think is the role of patient associations? Because obviously, they get, are they getting more engaged with time? Do you see that? Yes, we're interested. Yes, we want to go for it. It's interesting for our patients, etc. I would say I would say that they are a key stakeholder because actually they're the ones that will spread the word. That actually it's about the use. It's about them wanting to um, see drugs being offered to either themselves or other because they because a lot of the patient groups are patients who suffer from these conditions and diseases so I would say most definitely and I would say so before what I said before about that engagement it's not just the official organizations it's just not the statutory organizations it's about those um, patient groups and other organizations as well because they can often drive the uptake of some of these medications especially in the early days because they can actually say yes and they can also help some of the pharmaceutical companies recruit patients to actually go as part of these early access programs as well so I would say definitely engage with them as early on as possible just as you would with a, a normal payer well I want to make sure before we wrap up here um, that everyone has an opportunity to have uh, some final comments some closing arguments if you will um, but maybe uh, maybe Jackie if you want to start up since you were just going so well there uh, and then uh, Lois and Nerea have an opportunity to kind of kind of wrap up and give us any last comments on the exciting topic I've been in the NHS in the UK and I've worked in Europe as well for 38 years. And I actually think that the reforms that will start emerging in England and then they'll start rolling out to the rest of the UK should be seen as opportunities for pharmaceutical companies to engage in a more meaningful way. And I think we're not quite chucking out sort of the, the budgets, but we're going to be moving to a system which is less siloed, with the, where the budgets are more but they're going to be less contained. And it's about the overall system benefits for treatments and care. So I suppose my message to pharmaceutical companies is keep developing those messages and engage as early on as you can with payers to actually say, we want these patients to get access to treatment as quickly as possible. Because even though we might get a nice no, doesn't mean that we might not use it. Because it means that you can't, doesn't mean that you don't have to. So there's something for me about engaging early on and developing the messages and really allowing payers to understand the benefit of using these drugs and the risks of not using them. Um, from my perspective, I think always keep the patient at front and centre yeah. of your strategies. So if you always focus on patient access, patient benefit, you'll always make the right decisions. You'll be able to get the right data. You'll be able to do the right evidence generation because the heart of everything you do is ensuring that patients have got access. And I think when you do that, you will get then the win-win of your drug. If it has, you know, met, has a great unmet need and is able to demonstrate its value it will get used and patients will get that value again because it will obviously get greater uptake than it would have done potentially if you hadn't have set up a scheme and actually accelerated your access plan uh, what i will say to wrap up is um, that medical and market access should work together from phase three yeah. as uh, lois said yes to have a clear strategy and also be up to date with the changes because each country is doing changes. And for example, France has a new law and early access program. Germany will have some. So really, we as much as to date as you can with all these changes in order to adapt it to your strategy to understand how real world evidence data generated is going to, if you can use it or not, how it's going to affect the business, how it's going to affect the product, etc. And finally, the most important one, 
focus on the patient's benefit, as you said before, no? Patient that is at the heart of this. And there are medicines that save lives and we have to be careful with that. Yeah. I'd like to say one final thing, if that's possible. Hmm. No, matter, no matter where patients live in the world, their needs are the same. And I think that's an important thing for pharmaceutical companies to consider. How the drugs get funded or paid for or sort of negotiation on the price may differ, but the clinical benefit and and the evidence. And so think that they need to take that into account. So whether I live in Canada, whether I live in France or whether I live in Spain with a particular condition, my needs are going to be the same. So wherever possible, make sure that the clinical evidence that is gathered and shared is meaningful no matter where the patient can be mm to be treated and i think just going on from that point when we think about clinical trials they're often very clinical include certain patient types include certain groups whereas actually um and those patients don't get that opportunity for access because of the clinical trial needs so i think at least that early access it doesn't have exclusions in the same way as the trial would so ultimately again it's providing that early access to patients maybe those with the real unmet needs because they have you know um, dual problems or um, mental health issues and would be excluded from getting getting Mm. that product in a trial so we think again that's something we should be thinking about but it also tells the payer how does this work in the real world outside of a clinical trial when maybe the patient doesn't have the same compliance um, support etc so I think um, again they can give payers a very good indication of how that product will work in the real world. Excellent. Thank you so much, uh, Lois and, and Jackie, and of course, Nerea, for joining us today. All excellent points and a, a really fabulous discussion, and, and thank you for that. I hope everyone listening has learned something today as well, uh, exciting about the European EAP landscape. And if you'd like to speak with uh, us at Alira Health to learn more about what we do, you can visit us at our website, alirahealth.com. Thank you all once again, and to those listening, please join us next time on Transformation Talks.